ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Damien Carrick with you. This is The Law Report. At the upcoming constitutional referendum, Australians are being asked to recognise First Peoples by establishing an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice to Parliament. That voice will be able to make representations to Parliament and the Executive about matters which affect the lives of Indigenous peoples. But would a voice to Parliament improve the everyday lives of Indigenous Australians in practical ways? You'll hear some different perspectives. Aboriginal woman Antoinette Braybrook is the CEO of JIRA, an Indigenous community-controlled organisation in Victoria working to prevent family violence. JIRA's legal service concentrates on family law and child protection. Last week, Antoinette Braybrook spent several days participating in the long walk. I found it quite peaceful and, you know, just walking and having a chat to lots of different people about the referendum or just about life. And yeah, it was it was just quite uplifting also when people were driving past and tooting and screaming out the window, go, yes, yes, yes. So you were out on the road for several days participating in several stretches of the long walk, which starts in Melbourne and finishes in Canberra. For those who don't know, tell us what it is. Yeah, so I did join in on the long walk for a few days and I joined Michael Long. He's a former Essendon footballer and Michael first did the walk in 2004 to promote Indigenous rights and an apology for the stolen generation. So 19 years later, Michael's doing the same walk to talk to people in Victoria, New South Wales and ACT and draw attention to the importance of the referendum and to speak to people so that they can make informed decisions about which way to cast their vote. And tell me how many people were on the road with you? Yeah, look, it it varied from town to town and, you know, there could have been 100 to 300 in some places. And you obviously passionately believe that constitutional recognition and a voice to parliament are important. You provide frontline services to vulnerable Indigenous women. How will a voice to parliament translate into better outcomes for Indigenous people? I have been working at the frontline for 20 years of Aboriginal women's safety, and I've only seen this situation worsen for our women. I've just seen these statistics go up and up and up. They've never got better. And, like, for example, nationally, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women are 33 times more likely to be hospitalised than other women. And we're eight times more likely to die from a violent assault than other women. In Victoria alone, we're 45 times more likely to experience family violence. You know, we know that family violence is one of the key drivers to the removal of Aboriginal children from their mums, families and communities. And still the numbers continue to rise, even though there's been an investment there. I've not seen those numbers go down. Our kids nationally are 10 times more likely to be removed. And then, you know, when we go to the incarceration rates in our work, we see how family violence is both a cause and consequence of Aboriginal women's imprisonment. And Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people of this country are the most incarcerated people in the world. So, like, you know, what we're doing at the moment is clearly not working. So something has to give, something has to change. And what's not working and why would 
the voice be a step forward? We'll be able to feed our solutions into government. We'll be able to apply a lived experience lens to the policies that developed and the and the cultural lens to the decisions that are made about us. Now, we are at the whim of government, government-imposed processes without proper input, real input from on-the-ground experience. We must have a say in the policies and decisions that impact on our lives. And enshrining this voice in the constitution will ensure that successive governments have to speak to us. I have, in this 20 years, being the CEO of JIRA, lived through that many reviews and evaluations of our work done by non-Indigenous consultants where recommendations are made and they're never implemented. So much money goes into those reviews and evaluations. It's money that does not hit the ground. So the criticism is that there's already lots and lots of consultation taking place between government and Indigenous organisations, but you're saying, in fact, this will kind of cut through the knot rather than create another layer. We need to have our direct say into influencing government policies and decisions. Antoinette Braybrook, the CEO of JIRA, she says federal government laws, policies and programs across a broad range of areas, including health, housing and welfare, have a huge impact on outcomes, including the incarceration rates in state and territory criminal justice systems. So is an Indigenous voice to federal parliament a step forward? That's not the view of Liberal South Australian Senator Karen Little, the opposition spokesperson for child protection and the prevention of family violence. An Arundel woman, she entered parliament in 2022. Senator Little says that Indigenous people already have direct and meaningful input into government decisions. And she's urging Australians to vote no to a voice to parliament. I think it, it is true, absolutely, that all Australians, not just me, want to improve the lives of Indigenous Australians. You know, I grew up in Alice Springs. I was born there and uh, have worked and spent some time in remote communities as well as in regional areas. And I don't believe that this is the way to improve outcomes. I've always been focused on accountability. And I think that starts with the very organisations that are currently funded to do the work to improve the lives of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australians. Senator Little, I hear what you're saying about accountability and and current structures, but right now and for many years and forever, really, the outcomes for Indigenous people have been very poor. And proponents of The Voice say this is a way forward of doing things differently, of actually giving people a voice into policy. We need to not treat Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as if they are one homogenous cohort. We need to recognise within that cohort there is a significantly disadvantaged group that every single day finds themselves unsafe because of housing, infrastructure, health. And they are the people that we should be focused on in this discussion. They're the group that aren't having things improved for them and that's who I want to focus on and that's why... The proposition that's being put by Peter Dutton is to focus on more on those regional local issues. So I understand that you support the idea of recognising Indigenous people in the constitution, 
but you don't recognise an Indigenous voice to Parliament. Why in particular, why don't you support that idea? I agree with constitutional recognition, as do I believe most Australians that I speak to uh, with my senatorial hat on tell me that they support recognising Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples in the constitution. I also support the idea that when you talk to people, you ask about accountability, you take in information from them, that you will get a better outcome. What I struggle with is this proposition that is about a no compromise must be in the constitution, is not just about constitutional recognition, it's an overreach, it also includes this this concept of voice, which hasn't been properly explained to the Australian people. Um, And I do believe, and I've sat on the Joint Select Committee and heard much of the evidence, coincidentally, by some of those organisations that are strong supporters of voice. And that is, it's risky, it's unknown, it's divisive. And of course, with all of that, it's permanent. We don't know what this will do. We're just hearing uh, it will transform lives. Supporters say that there is consultation at the moment, but it's often ad hoc, ticker box, often narrow. And it's not beyond us to build a representative, effective body that can provide advice to Parliament, the voice to Parliament, which would improve outcomes? Well, I I don't um, agree at all with this proposition that there's not a consultation already. I think what there's not enough of is accountability. We have uh, regular in reports talk about co-design, co-collaboration. We hear that quite often. We also have a number of ambassadors, advocates. We have commissioners. Uh, We have the Close the Gap working group. Uh, We have a number of working groups that are resourced to provide advice to government. And I challenge people to find a parliamentarian who is not prepared to take a phone call from a constituent who is their constituent and help them work through an issue if it's justified working through those issues in that way. People have a voice. It's through their parliament. It's through their state parliaments. It's through those very organisations that are funded to deliver those services. Liberal South Australian Senator Karen Little, thank you for speaking to The Law Report. Thank you very much. And rather than a voice to parliament, Senator Little says outcomes would improve if there was more scrutiny on those very service providers. She wants a Senate inquiry into organisations that are funded and resourced to provide services to Indigenous Australians. Damien Carrick with you. This is The Law Report. You can follow us on the ABC Listen app. Accountability is a word also used by supporters of The Voice. Gunditjmara woman Jill Gallagher is the CEO of VACHO, the Victorian Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organisation. It's a peak body for 33 organisations who deliver health services across the state. She's also very much involved in Victoria's treaty process and was instrumental in the creation of the state's First Nations Assembly back in 2018, which will shortly commence negotiations with the state government on a treaty. A voice to Parliament, to me, is like an accountability mechanism. So at the moment, we have no mechanism or no voice at the national level to actually hold government accountable. For, you know, 32 years ago, there was a Royal Commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody. And 32 years later, there's not a lot of difference. There's nothing, nothing's been implemented. So if we had a mechanism 
to actually not just hold government accountable but also the service systems accountable, both Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal, it would make a big difference. It would put the issues on the agenda, on the table, and it would advise government where we're not getting it right and how we can fix that. So we need to do something different. We need to have that voice to actually say and say, well, look, okay, this is not working. Why isn't it working? What do we need to tweak to help it work? When Aboriginal people are involved in that decision-making and involved in the evaluations, you see better outcomes. And that's what the voice is going to do. This is why we've got the First People's Assembly here in Victoria. That's our voice. So that will hold governments and communities accountable for why aren't we making the difference on the ground. So tell me um, about some of the programs that you say illustrate that if there is a voice, that success can be replicated. So the local ACOs, the local Aboriginal organisations, they know their communities. They know who the vulnerable families are. They know where to go and what to do. They've got the solutions. So how do we harness that intelligence? And we did it with three programs. One of them is the KMS program, the Courier Maternity Services program. We see the decrease of uh, low birth weights in babies. So the KMS program is about uh, maternity services. So that's one program. The other program is one of our organisations many years ago got a little bit of money to employ one of our own maternal child health nurses. And as a result of that, because it was based at the local Aboriginal community controlled co-op, they got 98% immunisation with our children in that particular area, 98% success. To me, that is proof that if we are involved in making those decisions and coming up with the solutions, there will be proper outcomes. But we still need government support in that, by the way. But you're saying that if there's a voice, Indigenous people will be able to put forward their ideas for how to close the gap. Is that what you're saying? If you want to look at it like a productivity commission, if that's how you want to look at it, we have no independent Aboriginal mechanism to look at what is being implemented, why it's not working, and hopefully have a conversation with governments to say, well, we need to change this, and this is how we need to change it. I've been speaking with Liberal Senator Karen Little, who's a no, and she says, look, there's already a lot of consultation happening with Indigenous people. Uh, It's delivery and accountability that we need to focus on. There's lots of advocates, lots of ambassadors, co-designs embedded in all programs. That's where we need to focus, not not an extra layer of bureaucracy. How would you respond to that? No, uh, that's not true. I don't know. I don't know Miss Little's um, background or or her life story. I have no idea about that. But that's not true. It won't work. I mean. We talk about government rhetoric around co-design <laughs> and it's quite amazing. Uh, we also get it here too, by the way, still. Let's co-design something, but government come to that table. We, we Well, they don't come to our table. We go to their table and they say, well, okay, here's what we think. So that's not co-design. They tell us this is what's going to happen. Now, whether if you want the funding to do that, that's fine. But we're not going to. Ha- we there is no such thing as co-design. I have never seen a co-design process work. So, what do you think the voice will do I- instead? 
the voice will be will have a voice into Parliament, right? That's the difference, not just to one minister, whether it's the Minister for Education, whether it's the Minister for Health, and the list goes on. So they will, if we're successful, have a voice in there. At the moment, we have nothing. And, yes, they don't have power to override decisions, but what they can do, they can shame government, they can talk to government, they can, and not only government, but the executive too. So that means the bureaucracy. And that voice is not just also, I need to say, from my point of view, having a voice to parliament is going to help. And, and I mean, we can provide you with data and information about how that's going to help with service delivery. But it also, to me, having a voice to Parliament enshrined in the Constitution is also about hope and it is also about recognition. And those two ingredients, hope and recognition, also has has benefits to the well-being of our communities. Is it creating an extra layer of bureaucracy? Is it potentially clogging up the system? No, I don't see how that can happen. Of course it won't. I don't know how people who are saying that, why they say that, because all it is is whatever it ends up looking like, because that's yet to be decided, um, once we get the referendum out of the way, the big, the exciting work now starts in relation to uh, designing what this voice is going to look like. But I don't see any extra layer of bureaucracy at all and I don't know how people can come to that conclusion, all it will be is a voice to Parliament. You know what I mean? And Parliament can either say yay or nay. We have other layers of bureaucracy at the moment and that's not working because we don't have a direct voice to Parliament. The so-called progressive knows the, the black sovereignty movement. They say the voice is futile. You need more than the ability to make representations to Parliament, which can be ignored. How do you respond to that? I don't know what the black sovereignty um, people are saying. I mean, I'm black and I'm sovereign. I mean, if they can put another idea on the table as to how we're going to advance, we cannot continue to accept the status quo. We cannot continue to accept the over-representation of our people in the correctional services right across this continent. We cannot continue to accept the alarming rates of our children still going into out-of-home care. We cannot accept the status quo. We have to try something. And no one, no other Aboriginal black sovereign person is putting any solutions on the table. And yet there are 83% of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who support a voice to parliament enshrined in the constitution. During the COVID pandemic, the gap was actually reversed. Indigenous Australians were at some points in the epidemic six times less likely to have COVID than other Australians. And you say that that very successful outcome was achieved because Indigenous people were engaged and came up with new ideas to respond to this health crisis. 
Oh, of course. Of course it is. I mean, and, and the pandemic, that those figures that you just quoted, that's evidence that, you know, if Aboriginal communities uh, and service providers and leaders are in the driver's seat, there will be better outcomes in the health space for our people. So we did things... So by by getting in there, we did things by thinking outside the box. I mean, a lot of our people don't access mainstream services for a whole raft of reasons, which I won't go into. So one of the things we had to think about was, well, how do we encourage our people to get immunised? We got in there and rolled up our sleeves and um, negotiated with government for mobile pop-up immunisation clinics that travelled all around Victoria. As a result of that, the successful immunisation rates in our communities was um, was really good. And in remote communities, Aboriginal people were very quick to lock down those communities to make them safer. So one of our biggest services here in Melbourne, the Victorian Aboriginal Health Service, they also had a, um, a partnership with a local restaurant which that uh, helped develop and, and so forth. So as a result of that, to keep elders safe in their homes so they don't have to go out uh, when it was complete lockdown, they had Meals on Wheels delivered through this restaurant and um, that helped elders stay safe. When Aboriginal com- communities are, are valued and empowered, then we get better solutions. Jill Gallagher, the CEO of VACHO, the Victorian Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organisation. June Oscar, a Boonabar woman from Fitzroy Crossing in East Kimberley, is the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Social Justice Commissioner. For many years, she's worked tirelessly to reduce fetal alcohol spectrum disorder and she led a successful community-driven campaign for alcohol restrictions in Fitzroy Crossing. A firm supporter of The Voice, she maintains that government doesn't listen to Indigenous people and she says that refusal or inability to hear results in bad policy which prevents closing the gap. The gap is systemic and it seeps into every facet of our lives. So the issues and areas of failures are many and one reason for this is because our holistic view of life is not well understood or supported by the modern Australian nation state, by the current systems and structures that govern our lives collectively as Australians. So the failure of seeing it in its connected and intersecting ways and therefore the approaches to addressing these areas of disadvantage is just not understood and it, it it isn't working. So we have poor and uninformed policy um, which destroys families and communities. And, you know, Damien, this brings so much pain to so many of our people and frustration, and it continues to do so every day. So how will a voice to parliament lead to things being done differently? Well, the voice to parliament will provide advice and recommendations to government about matters that impact our daily lives. It will assist government to appreciate our culture and law and knowing contains deep knowledge 
as to how we can heal our people, our communities, our families. And this includes in the areas of health and housing, criminal justice and education. And the voice would enable recognition, respect and integration of our knowledges into the makeup of this nation, a nation that has, uh, in my view, excluded us since colonisation began. So the advice given to the government through the voice would inform policy development and decisions across all areas that affects us as Indigenous peoples, including in respect to policy and service delivery, as well as the allocating of funding for our community-driven programs and solutions, which is what all Australians want to see. We want to see solutions to these um, problems. So as a permanent representative mechanism for our people, protected by the Constitution, the voice would remain as a structure beyond election cycles and alternating political will. It will live on beyond the political party of the day in charge. And this would guarantee that our our knowledge is, is shared with all future governments to come. And, uh, you know, might I add, there is a stark irony in possessing over 60,000 years of continuous connection to these lands, yet being subject to ever-changing governance. The goalpost keeps changing and funding commitments keep changing and that it has taken us this long to get to this point of simply being recognised. Is part of the problem or part of the existing dynamic that there is often no certainty of funding, there's no longevity, there's no long-term investment in programs which Indigenous people say are working, and the, the voice would actually be able to say this is a problem that we experience and this needs to be addressed. Absolutely. You know, we we want to be able to advise and inform and make those key decisions that affects us because we can see and we know from our lived realities that other people making decisions about our lives just hasn't worked. So we're tired, absolutely tired of politicians using us for their own advantage. This must stop. And we're, we're asking the Australian people to remove that power from politicians, ensuring a permanent mechanism for our participation in decision-making will mean that our lives are not vulnerable to being used as a political football. Senator Karen Little says there are currently lots of advocates, lots of ambassadors, commissioners like yourself even. We have the Close the Gap Working Group. We have elected representatives and parliamentarians. Those are the ways that the Indigenous voice is currently heard and currently impacts in government policy and it's already happening. And a voice would be a bureaucratic layer. It wouldn't add any value. What's your response? Well, look, current structures and policies and laws are not supportive or enabling of who we are as Indigenous peoples and our ways of being and doing, our ways of knowing. And as I've said many times, it's systemic and entrenched within all all areas of Australian society and governance. You know, these positions that we have, we have participated in a very top-down process And what we're wanting to see is that we want to see local and regional voices 
inform the decisions that are being made about their very lives. There are people, yes, within the uh, parliaments within this country, we understand also that these people are there, they're, they're part of a party, there's party politics and priorities. What we're talking about is the ability for people on the ground to be informing the processes that are making decisions of um, their quality of life on the ground. Jean Oscar, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Social Justice Commissioner. That's the Law Report for this week. Don't forget you can follow us on the ABC Listen app. Also available at the app is a brilliant new podcast with Carly Williams and Fran Kelly. It's called The Voice Referendum Explained and it's very clear and it's very informative. That's all we have time for this week. A big thank you to producer this week, Lyndall Rollins, and to audio producer, Adrian James. I'm Damien Carrick. Talk to you next time with more law.